You are listening to the Reality Steve podcast with your host, Reality Steve. He's got all the latest info and behind the scenes juice on Clayton's season of The Bachelor and interviewing some of your favorite reality stars. Now, here's Reality Steve. What's up, everybody? Welcome to podcast number 270. I'm your host, Reality Steve. A very important podcast today. It is with Jenny Alexandra from Joe Millionaire, which airs Thursday nights on Fox. Episode 3 is airing tonight. Jenny has a story to tell, and we're going to get to that momentarily. There isn't a whole lot that I want to go over Bachelor Nation world. There was no episode this week, not a lot new going on. So I do want to dive into the Jenny Alexandra story. She's a contestant on Joe Millionaire. Last week, she got a one-on-one date. And on that one-on-one date, she had mentioned that she was a victim of sex trafficking. We get into all this. This is a public case. It is something I didn't even know about until a few days ago. But when I watched the episode last week, when I heard her say that, I I knew nothing about it. I had never even heard of this girl before. I had no idea what she was involved in. But I immediately DM'd her after the show and said, hey, I don't know if you can even talk about this, but I'm intrigued. I'd love to have you on the podcast. I'd love to know more about what happened. And that's when she informed me. She's like, yeah, I'd love to. I have never spoken about this publicly. This is the first time Jenny has ever spoken about this publicly. The case was settled last June or July in 2021. Sentencing did happen in that case. And there, I think two things that you um, that you need to follow up with at the end of this podcast is I'm going to include two links on both the my website at realitysteve.com and in the episode description on whatever podcast forum you listen to this on. I will have the links there. One is the press release the day after the sentencing happened from the Department of Justice in California uh, Department of Justice that gives a rundown of what the case was about and what happened and then the other thing is online there are documents it's like 121 pages but i read it all and it is the day it's the transcription of the day the sentencing happened back in la- last june is either june or july of 2021 where 20 of the victims in this case, all unnamed, they are victim A, B, C, all the way through, I think, M or N or something like that. Um, It's a transcription of what they said in court that day. They addressed the court, and then they addressed their, uh, the defendant, Andre Garcia, who was the main culprit in all this. And um, you talk about some powerful stuff, You know, this podcast has got a lot in it, and I'm going to say it right off the bat. I'm going to – there there is a trigger warning here. There is a lot of sexual talk in this podcast. There is the links that I include. There is some graphic, uh, some discussion that's very graphic and sexual in nature of what these women had to go through, what these women had to deal with. Um. 
the things that they repeated and had to tell Andre to his face that day. It's just an amazing, an amazing story. I'm so glad that Jenny agreed to do this. Because like I said, I had no idea what I was getting into when I DM'd her because I, no, I had no idea about the case. She said sex trafficking on TV last week, and I had one thing in my mind, and this case is something different. There are layers to sex trafficking. I'm sure a lot of you probably have the same definition of sex trafficking as I do, which is I thought there was some sort of kidnapping or hostage situation where somebody was basically turned into a sex slave. And while not in the literal sense, there is a part of it that is Jenny's story is that. So uh, there's a lot to unpack here. We do start off talking about Joe Millionaire and how this all got started. And then we get into what happened. And um, there's a lot here. I I do want to warn you, there is a trigger warning. If somebody you know has been through this, or maybe yourself, as someone listening to this right now, has been through something similar. Um, Just know, I I, I am giving you a warning uh, ahead of time. But um, I just want to... um, I, I just, I, I really, you're going to see me, you hear me say it a ton of times during this podcast, especially towards the end, on how much I thank Jenny for coming on and doing this, because this is the first time she's ever talked about this publicly, and she is the main reason why this lawsuit happened. So before we get to any of that, I do want to talk to you again about our sponsor, and that is Beachbody. You know, the distance you live from your gym your home to your gym can make all the difference in how often you work out. It's true. How close does your gym actually have to be for you to work out? You know, for me, it's tough sometimes. And the gym isn't even far. But just the idea of, you know, putting the clothes on and putting my shoes on and getting in the car and driving, you know, sometimes, you know, you've been there. You all make excuses. I make excuses to not work out. Well, now you have Beachbody in my house. It lets you stream over 1,500 of the hottest workouts from top trainers to all your devices, phone, TV, tablet, anytime, anywhere. Working out with Beachbody, it just works. There's no travel time to the gym. Who cares what I'm wearing? Hell, half the time I don't even have shoes on. Zero pressure keeping up with everyone else is doing. I'm at home. I could do it at my own pace. Try any one of their programs free for 14 days. Like what I'm doing, I've mentioned it a few times already, I'm doing the lift four because I need to do both strength and cardio. I don't like doing just one. And that's just that's just me. You might just like doing one over the other. The combination of lifting and high-intensity interval training together is a game-changer for me. And it's only four days a week. No gimmicks, no fads, just proven workouts to get results with millions of success stories. Why try anything else? You could lose up to nine pounds in 14 days with Beachbody. Join me and start for free today. Go to Beachbody.com slash Steve to get 14 days totally free. That's Beachbody.com slash Steve. Results vary based on starting point and effort. So I want to just get started right now with this podcast. There's a lot to take in. It's close to an hour and a half long, but I hope you listen to all of it, and I hope you go read the links that I included on both my website and on the episode description in the podcast. Whatever you listen, what, however you listen to your podcast, it would be in the episode description. Underneath the actual episode description, there will be links to her Instagram account if you want to follow Jenny. And 
uh, the links to these stories. But, um, I mean, this is um, probably top three uh, podcasts I've ever done. Um, I learned so much over the last few days in doing research on this, talking to Jenny, um, learning more about everything that went down, and it's just, again, you've been warned. Trigger warning here. There are some very sensitive subjects talked about, and uh, I hope that um, you know you can weather that storm, make it through, and uh, really to get a, a deep dive into what these women had to endure, I would suggest uh, the link that I include to go read the transcription from the day the sentencing happened in this case last June and what these women said to the judge. Each got up there and each spoke their piece about what this man did to their lives. So let's get going. Podcast number 270. All right, let's welcome her in. Uh, You can see her on this season of Joe Millionaire airing on Fox Thursday nights at 8, 7 Central. Episode 3 goes tonight. It is Jenny Alexandra. Jenny, thanks for coming on. Hi, how are you doing today? I'm good. Uh, Jenny, uh, on on your one-on-one date last week with Steven, um, you opened up a bit. Um, about being a victim of, of sex trafficking that you were involved in a few years ago. I DM'd you right when the show ended w- last week and, you know, wanting you to come on the podcast. And, and you agreed, which I, I can't thank you enough for. There is a lot to uncover and talk about, which we will, we will eventually get to. But before all that, I want to do with you what I do with all my guests, and that is kind of just let the audience know a little bit more about you, since reality TV only has X amount of of minutes in an episode, there's still what 15, 16 of you left on the show at this point. I, you know, we want to know a little bit more about Jenny Alexandra. So just kind of start at the beginning here. Where'd you grow up? What was your childhood like? I know you played college soccer at uh, at NC State. So why don't you just fill people in on that to start with? Yeah, so I was actually born in Atlanta, Georgia, and then grew up in Orange County. And super athletic, played a bunch of different sports. Um, Soccer was the one that I kind of liked best. And I got recruited, went and played at NC State D1 soccer. Let's go Wolfpack. I have to throw that out there. (laughs) Um, And yeah, it was a great, great experience. And from there, I went over and played in London a bit my last semester while I was like finishing like one class online. And I went to one, um, finished the second class like in school there. And after that, my, my niece just really couldn't, um, keep, keep up with playing. Um, I've had two ACL surgeries. So I was, my body was just kind of done, especially playing like at that level. I did have one year of eligibility left from when I had to red shirt during an ACL injury. And I just decided like hang up the cleats and I was going to go to law school. And I came back to California. I was ready to kind of be closer to home. My family's here and went um ended up in San Diego and kind of been here ever since. By the way, uh online I did see a video of a goal that you scored against App State, which is like one of the things that pops up um on on <laughs> on a search of you. Do you remember that goal against App State? Do you remember that particular I goal? I do. There okay. was yeah, there were two goals there. One of them was like from behind and back to goal. I just kind of like chipped it over the girl, ended up somehow hitting it in. And yeah, yeah, it did make ESPN plays of the week. So that was pretty exciting. Yeah, I saw that. I was like, wow, that was, it wasn't just like, hey, you got a pass to you and you, you know, you beat the goalie. It was, it was a good, it was a good move. And, and watching the video, I 
was like, she just kicked that over the goal. There's no way that's going in the goal. It looked like you kicked it way over the goal, but I guess it was because of the angle the video was shot at. Um, but anyway, good goal. Glad you got made ESPN for that. That was uh, Thank you. That was some good stuff. Um, so before Joe Millionaire, or actually when you were in college at NC State, is that when you realized you wanted to get into law or did not happen until after you got out of school that you're like, I think I want to go to law school now? Well, I always knew I wanted to like continue my education. I either wanted to go like the doctor route or law route, but I would have rather gone into medicine and been like a surgeon or something like that. But those classes just for me anyway, like science and all of that just didn't really stick that well. Um, and I was dating someone at the time who was studying for the LSAT for law school. And I kind of just picked up a book. And after I started like reading it, I was like, you know what? Like this is actually really interesting, something I'm... I kind of want to go into. So why not just study, take the exam, see how I do, and then go from there. And I originally was going to take a year off between like undergrad and law school, but I was fortunate enough to get a academic scholarship. So I went ahead and took the opportunity and chance that I had and ended up at California Western School of Law. Yeah. Um, so you went to California Western. When did you start law school? Was it 2014, 2015? Yeah, it was 2014. 2014. Okay. So while you're in law school, were you doing, um, or even, yeah, I guess while you were in law school, yeah, had you ever applied or been approached to do reality TV before? Did you have a, did you have a modeling past? So I had done some like modeling and I did actually one, I did all the fancy footwork for a movie, a Disney movie, um, way in the past, but for soccer soccer movie but i've done some modeling um but not in law school i hadn't been approached yet for reality tv ladybugs was that the movie <laughs> it that. was it was not ladybugs it was you remember gosh. do you remember ladybugs by the way i do okay. yes <laughs> <laughs> okay that was the first disney soccer movie that came to mind uh, <laughs> yeah um okay so you so you had never been approached or even applied to do any reality tv before any of that in law school, no. I was approached later on, but not while I was in law school. Okay, so after law school, you were approached. You obviously never did it because this is your, you know, Joe Millionaire is your first experience with reality TV. What, what other, th- what made you turn stuff down in the past versus turning or accepting uh, a position to go on Joe Millionaire? Well, there was actually two other shows I had um, ended up getting casted for. One of them. I actually was on my way to LAX to take the flight out and driving from San Diego to LA, I kind of just pulled over and I was just like, this does not feel right. And kind of just got really nervous about all of it and pulled out of it last minute. And when this opportunity came around, it was, was the, was the third opportunity I've gotten. And I kind of just looked at it and I was like, you know what, this is the third time I'm being offered such an amazing opportunity. Um, the casting team was great. Like with talking to them, they made me feel very comfortable with it all. Um, I, I I was told it was called Love for Real. So that was, I don't know, I'm, I was looking for love and looking or was doing it at the time. And I was just ready for that. And I was like, you know what, I'm going to take a chance. I did miss my first flight out again, but I did take a second flight out a couple of days later. Um, I got really nervous, had some anxiety to beforehand. And then after I missed my flight, one of the producers like just talked to me and was like, you have no obligation. You can fly out here. You can fly back the same day if you decide you don't want to do it or if it's not something for you. 
And just hearing that and like talking to everyone, part of the casting and production team, um, it was like, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to take a chance, take a risk. And worst comes to worst, I just fly out, fly back home. Well, it's funny because that's exactly what Kurt and Steven said last week was when they were being recruited for this show and going through the interview process, they were also being told the show is called Love for Real. There was nothing about Joe Millionaire and one of you is going to be rich and one of you isn't and the women are going to have to make a choice, all that stuff. It was sold as Love for Real, which is which is funny. Um, and it's also ironic and because I remember, you know, in in – speaking with you briefly uh, before this you said that you would not have done this show if you knew the title was joe millionaire no i i would not have (laughs) yeah yeah i think it's it's interesting because like you said but it ended up being you know for you i mean and obviously we don't know what happens the rest of the season but for you and going on the show you get there and as Stephen and Kurt said last week as well, like they knew they were told what the concept of the show is, the format of the show is. But you guys, the women, you didn't find out about the Joe Millionaire twist until filming had already started. And the butler told you guys like exactly what we saw in that first episode. That was the first time you guys knew what was going on, right? Yeah, that was the first time we had any idea. And when he first said it, I was like, this, this is a joke. This is not like, no, <laughs> this, I doubt that. I just think he wants our reaction. He's trying to kill some time um, between like filming stuff. But yeah, it was it was the real deal, I guess, when he said it. Were you contemplating like walking off set? Were you, was it something like you were like, <laughs> oh, gosh, I don't know if this is for me and um, or was it pretty like, okay, I mean, maybe you had some thoughts here and there, but you never really were really serious about leaving once you were into filming. Uh, I, after hearing that, I was, I was honestly disappointed. I was just like, uh, I like the title love for real. It sounds so charming, more of a chance of actually like finding love Yeah. the whole, I didn't know what Joe millionaire was, but when it was explained a little bit more, I, w- I didn't, I don't know. I didn't want anything to be about money. I just, wanted to find love and I didn't know if the other aspect of it would change the game. Um, but I was thinking in my head, I was like, you know what? I made it through quarantine in that hotel room. We've already started filming. I'm just going to see how it goes. <laughs> yeah. So you're there and you obviously, um, so far through two episodes, we've, we've noticed that the women seem to get along with each other. Uh, was that a factor in keeping you there that you seem to have a good group of women that you could bond with? Completely. If girls were mean or if girls like were malicious, I would have, I would have left right away. I would have been like this. I, yeah, I, this is not for me. I, and I kind of thought it was going to be like that. I didn't expect there to be such an amazing group of women with just all their own intricate stories to them. I was the girl that kind of showed up. I showed up with like locks on my suitcases just in case someone tried to steal stuff. Like when we picked beds, I picked a bed based off it was in the corner away from everyone so I could get some privacy because I didn't know if I was gonna like like the girls or if we'd all get along and it people couldn't have been like more amazing they were so nice and so genuine and just so kind in every different situation that we went through without jumping too far ahead in, in talking about your sex trafficking situation we know on we know on your one-on-one date last week with Steven that you told him 
did any of the women know before you told Steven or no? Had you opened up to anybody off or not off camera, but had you told any of the women first or would you tell Steven first? And then when you came back, you opened up to other people about it. I told Steven first. I wanted him to hear it from me just in case if I said it to one of the girls. It got back to him before like I had a chance to tell him. Yeah. Um, I knew there's a possibility of me telling him on the one-on-one. I didn't know if it was for sure going to happen. So I was a little bit nervous just going into the one-on-one. And if I did tell him like how it was going to go, but I never like told the girls like what I was might tell them. Tell okay. him. Okay. So you, you win the gold digger challenge where you guys had to pan for gold and you and uh, Carolyn had the most. So Carolyn chooses Kurt and you yes. get Steven. And yes. you kind of briefly just mentioned it, but on this date, you opened up to him at that. You were, you know, a victim of sex trafficking. Before we get into all that, before the date started, did you know you wanted to tell Stephen this? Had you, have you, how have you usually handled this in your real life dating with, with men? When have you usually opened up about this to someone that you were dating? I, I usually wait a lot longer than like a first date um, until it kind of starts getting like serious or we start seeing each other like, exclusively um i always want to be the person one to tell the guy versus him find out from like friends or family members and i i do always struggle with like when do you tell someone that um it's kind of a huge thing and a huge topic and it is a part of my life whether i want it to be or not but there's no real handbook on how do you tell a guy you were sex trafficked um so i kind of just try to feel it out. And then it's like, I'd, I'd rather tell someone sooner than later. I've had instances in the past where it's like, I wait and the guy's not okay with it. And he just doesn't want to be a part of it. He doesn't want, I don't know. He's not, doesn't understand it really. And he's embarrassed of it. And he's just like, I can't do this anymore. So for me, it's like, I'd rather not waste my time um, with someone that's not okay with it. So I'm not going to string him along for a while and not say anything and then throw it on him and be like, all right, this doesn't work. (laughs) Well, I think what's interesting in, in reality TV and especially reality TV dating shows is we know that this is a very sped up process. Like you watch any other dating show on reality TV, it's usually along the lines of if you don't open up or if you're not vulnerable and you're kind of closed off, that's never, ever been a good thing because you ha- this is like speed dating is what it is. Like You only have a certain amount of time that you're there with that person and you kind of have to open up early. So that must have been tough for you because like you said, you usually don't tell somebody this until it's a little more serious. You're exclusive with somebody here. You are on a first date. You end up telling Steven at the opera. How did you think Steven reacted to it? His reaction couldn't have been any better. And it speaks volumes about like who he is as a person to just sit there and listen and genuinely like listen and care. And just, I have so much respect for how he responded and, it showed me a lot about who he is. Yeah, it seemed like he was really good about it, and you seemed comfortable about it, and you even made a comment like, hey, I I don't kiss on the first date. It's not something that I, I do. I have you know, insecurities with that. And yet, when you're in the limo with him on the way back, you were, I can't remember if you were saying it to him or saying it in your confessional that you were like, God, I wish I wouldn't have you know, kind of said that because I'm feeling comfortable with him and I kind of, and I would like to kiss him, but I've already like laid down a, a rule that I don't. So were you contemplating changing your rule for Steven? I was, I mean, especially afterwards, like talking about it, it's like, I've never really had that experience where it's like, I really wanted to like, just 
kiss on the first date. And I kind of try not to just to, I don't know, I just, just something I just not comfortable with. And so when I went on that show, I wanted to like be myself and not feel pressure to do anything I'm not comfortable with. And then after it all, like it went so well, I was like, Oh my gosh, I wish I had, um, but couldn't change it at that point. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, this is where we're at and you know, we're only two episodes in episode three airs tonight. And, um, you know, obviously you got to stay, you and Carolyn both uh, had great first dates with Kurt and Steven respectively. And you guys were the first two basically to advance to the next week. They both kept you around. Um, and that's where we're at. So there really isn't a hell of a lot more to talk about in terms of the show aspect of your life. But when you opened up about being a victim of sex trafficking, it obviously piqued my interest. It's why I DM'd you right after the show. And I didn't even know anything. I knew absolutely nothing about your case and what this was all about. And uh, over the past few days, um, I've learned a lot. And so um, there's a lot of questions that I have, and I'm sure um, that the audience has. But I also respect the fact that you don't want to you know, dive into the details about everything that happened. But for context, there are some things we can talk about that you have approved before this conversation. So I want to touch on uh, a few of those things. But first off, rather than just like pepper you with questions, I, why don't you just say in terms of how this all started, why don't you just say what you feel comfortable saying? And when I have questions, uh, I will I will chime in. And, uh, you know, I say that in the first uh, before I even let you go. I, I do want to say this. Um when I heard the phrase sex trafficking, and I and I, I got to believe I'm not the only person that thinks this, but when I heard that phrase and you say that on the show, I guess I've, I've, I've just never done any sort of research or um, looked into it very much other than the basics of what's put out there in the media, which is what I believed it to be was some sort of kidnapping or hostage situation where someone was basically sold as a, a sex slave uh, to others. And while that is sex trafficking, there are other layers to it. And so why don't you just kind of take it from there? Yeah, no, there are, there are other layers to it. And I appreciate you like saying that and just letting like um, people like listening in know, because so many people think that like sex trafficking is just like the kidnapping and physical forcing someone into a situation. While in reality, most traffickers use like psychological means, such as like tricking, defrauding, manipulating or threatening victims into providing like commercial sex or exploitative um, labor. And that's kind of like where mine like falls into. So like, do you just want me to start going into <laughs> my situation or yeah, I mean, how do you want me to like, yeah, okay, I know I mean, there's a lot there. Yeah, there's a lot. And um, I, I kind of want to do it chronologically, but it's almost going to be impossible because I know there's going to be questions that pop up when you start, um, talking about it that I'm going to have notes that I'm going to want to jump in or something like that, but I'll, I'll let you finish. But basically I, I think what everyone needs to know is this isn't some sort of, he said, she said, this isn't, this is a public case that, um, there has been a, a conviction laid out. Um, this is a very public case that you can Google. And it's, it's a case that, like I said, I did not even know about until a few days ago. And it is the, um, you are Jane Doe one in the girls do porn case, which if you want to Google it, go ahead and Google it. That's what I did. 
I knew nothing about this until three days ago. So um, I did not know this was a case. I did not know it was a thing. I guess maybe because I'm not in California. It wasn't on the news. I'm in Texas. This was a uh, this was a big deal uh, in California. But um, you were Jane Doe one in the girls do porn case. And I guess from there, just um, how did how did that come to be? How did you become Jane Doe one? Well, um, I, so I have a modeling background and at the time, like since I wasn't a D1 athlete anymore playing soccer, I had more time on my hands and wanted to really um, get more involved in modeling, kind of explore that just because I finally was at a time in my life where I could. And I responded to a modeling ad and one thing led to another. And sure enough, I was in a room and it ended up being something completely different. It was advertised as like clothes modeling and um it just ended up with a sex tape and that's kind of what it is it was like a guy was there he said you're here you can't you have to do this there was he used like intimidation tactics um and didn't say what was actually going to be happening and he was just like you're here you have to do this you have no other option um and kind of and threatened as well. And I know for some victims, like it's like he put stuff in front of the, jo- the door. There was like situations. And I'm just speaking broadly, like when I say this for other victims, because this has happened to, um, I mean, I was around number 350. I don't know. There, that's the known victims, I think, before me at this point. And there's probably a lot more victims that we just don't know about. And I didn't know like everything he said was just a lie. And from his name to his phone number to all the information actually about him. And I, that night was just horrible to to begin with. I'm not going to like dive really into that, but I, months later, a month and a half later, I did find out from, I just started dating a guy and a friend from high school had called him. And then my boyfriend called me and was like, Okay, we've only been dating like two weeks, but is there something you want to tell me about? And I was like, what, what do you mean? Like, you know, no, not really. Like, what do you mean tell you about something? And then he just like sends me the link to a sex tape on like some website. I think it was Pornhub at the time. I don't remember what website it was. And I was just in complete shock, complete disbelief, um, total embarrassment. I had no idea. <laughs> that was going to be there and had no idea what to do. I tried like reaching out to the person's contact I did have, um, Andre Garcia. And I said, if you need to take this down immediately, I don't know how this got here. What is going on? Um, he eventually blocked my number and then had his attorney send like a cease and desist letter to me saying I was harassing him. And at this time I didn't know his name was like Andre Garcia. I thought it was something else. He was using a fake name. Um, and I just, I reached out to a friend of mine that had um, worked across. I was interning at a law firm at the time and he worked in an office across from mine and we became friends like before all of this. And I just like texted him and I was like, so I have a situation I have to ask you about. I kind of came, I kind of said it as like, I'm asking for a friend like about this situation, like didn't want to say it was me. And then I finally came to tell him it was me at the end of the story of me telling him it all. And because he knew me, I think because of why he believed me, it was didn't really have much evidence at the time. Um, 
and he knew I wouldn't lie about this situation. And so he reached out to the guy's attorneys, tried to say like, Hey, like what's going on here? Trying to get them to respond. There was a lot of like no responses from like that attorney on the other side. And I, in the meantime of the no responses with the attorney, the opposite sides attorneys, I was just trying to figure out where it was, like what, what happened? Where's this video? What is, what is going on with it? Um, and I did end up coming across a page online called um, like porn wiki links leaks or something. And it was just this site with like all these previous girls they had done this to. And it had like all of their personal information um, social media accounts, like social media accounts, not just for them, but family members it had like a list of jobs. Like I was on there and it had, all my social media accounts, like listed my jobs where I previously worked, where I currently worked, phone numbers for how to like harass me at work, um, college coaches, my team, photos from all over, um, whether it be social media or they find found other photos of me online. And just coming across that, I saw this had happened to so many, so many other people. I, I was in complete shock. I was just like, this is disgusting. Like they've done this to other people too. Like what I had just known it was just like this one guy. I didn't know he was like really like a part of this porn company. I didn't know anything about that. And, um, from there it was, I reached out, um, to other girls and, I knew from what I had gotten in terms of like harassment um, and like threats of online trolls, like the other girls had probably gone through it as well. And so I kind of just reached out and told them what happened to me. So they, I don't, you read another person's story that's gone through it. It's like, you understand like they're not, there's someone who actually went through it. It's not like a troll or it's not someone like posing or anything like that. And the girls that did reach out to me, I ended up um, sitting down with my attorneys one day and my attorneys spoke to them, but my attorneys couldn't be the first ones to reach out because of, like solicitation. But after that, my in- initial message to them, I couldn't talk to them because my attorneys were just nervous about, I don't know, stuff coming up later on in the case or trial. Um, and so they wanted to keep us all like separate. And then we did end up filing a lawsuit there was just a few of us. I think it was four. The initial complaint was filed with, and we kept adding girls as it went um, until we did have a final number of, I think it was 22 Jane Doe's. And I just remember at one time early on, it was, I don't know, they used, like, I could always tell when the lawsuit was getting intense because they just they relentlessly retaliated against me. Um, and that was also a huge part of the lawsuit as well. Yeah. I, I, okay. Oh. There's, there's a lot to unpack here. And again, oh, I, no, I'm kind of rambling. Sorry. No, 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 no. You're not rambling at all. I, there's, but there's just, there's so much stuff. And like I said, this is something that I can't thank you enough uh, for even wanting to talk uh, about this and, and, and bring some awareness uh, to this, because like I said, it's something that I had was was not aware of until a few days ago um, of what this whole case was about, and I've done a lot of reading on it. The 
I, I guess one question I that I have, and I'd like to to ask you, and if you don't feel comfortable answering, totally fine with that. But you answer a modeling ad, you show up, and then you said basically this is it wasn't what you were told this was going to be. So my question to you is, was it the false expectations that you were being told that actually kept you there? False expectations. As in, what do you mean by that? Like the, the, the expectations of why you were there in the first place. Like, it seems like you got there and you realized, oh, wait a second, this guy, this guy is lying to me. This isn't even his name. It's not his number. All this stuff. And you're like, because I think maybe some people look at this case and like, well, why didn't you leave or something like that? You know, um, the false expectations, what you were promised, I guess, is maybe that's the word to use is the things you were promised in this modeling ad that you uh, responded to seemed to be what you the only reason you responded because the ad itself seemed like something you were interested in. And then when you got there, it wasn't. But is is that why the lie was kept up by them? And that's why you were just like, OK, well. Uh, well, it was like the it wasn't what I was expecting. And there was like threats and intimidation tactics. And yeah. I literally told like, you can't leave like you have to you committed to this. Like you said yes to it originally. But it was like just completely not what it was supposed to be. And I know yeah. there's just like coercion and defraud and all these other aspects to it. But just mainly the intimidation tactics, like you're in a room and there's a guy there six foot, I don't know, significantly taller Bill, it's like you don't really know what's going to happen. Um, yeah, you kind of just say okay. <laughs> so that so that's why you know it kind of brings us back to the the definition that we talked about uh, in the beginning about sex trafficking and and while this isn't um, in the literal sense kidnapping or hostage situation that I think a lot of us immediately relate to the phrase sex trafficking, it kind of was just not literally. You know, you weren't kidnapped. You know, you weren't held hostage, but you almost kind of were because there wasn't anything that you could really do in terms of in that situation, in terms of who you are and who you were in a room with. You had no say, really. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that's that's where I I think that's where the whole I guess the definition of trafficking comes in. It doesn't have to be just this a kidnapping or a hot situation. It's like you said, coercion. Uh, lying, deceit, fraud, all that stuff is what makes this a, a, a trafficking uh, type of case. Now, you said, um, you know, you, you do this, you uh, you leave, and it was what, like um, you said, a month and a half later that you found out? And, it, and that's, the, that's the crazy thing about this, because like, it seems like the only way you would have found out is if somebody saw the video online and noticed the girl in it, because how else would you have known because you were not told that this was going and this was going to be a public video. No, I was never told it was going to be a public video, let alone online, let alone sent around to like every person I knew. Um, yeah. had no idea. I was just living my life, doing my thing. And then all of a sudden, like had this like bomb just dropped on me in my, in my life. And that was, seemed to be like their scheme with it all. It was like, they do that. They use the video. And then I guess, they like end up posting it later on when they gathered more information about the victim, um, family life, makes doctor, social media, whatnot. And then they post the video and then slowly after they'd reveal all of her personal information and encouraged people and internet tr- trolls and basement dwellers of the world to go harass her and her mm-hmm. family members. And 
it was this sick tactic of theirs. And it's just, I couldn't believe anyone would ever do anything like that. Well, I think, I mean, there was, there's a lot of just horrible negative aspects uh, to this case, but one of them was the fact that, you know, you were the first one to bring this to light in terms of, uh, you know, a lawsuit, getting a lawsuit going and, and bringing this up and saying like, I don't, this isn't right. This shouldn't be going on. And then you said the harassment started big time on you. And not only was it towards you being harassed, but this video was being distributed to family, to friends, to your professors in college, to, yeah. uh, I mean, that is like, it really, it really got bad. Like they sent a message um, on Facebook from like a fake account. And it was, the person had just said, if you don't drop this case tomorrow, then this video is going to go to everyone you know. And I remember reading it and just not responding. And sure enough, 24 hours later, it went to um, every family member of mine, old college coaches. They sent emails to them with um, explicit photos and a link to the video. They sent it to professors and deans. And in it, they accused me of being a, and I quote, like, crusty whore, disgrace to the law school. And they also went as far, like the defendants did, as mailing letters um, of photos of me to the dean and really attacking every aspect of my life. I, I mean, again, I can't, I, I can't imagine. And um, so while that's all going on and you're and all these other people are, are doing this, and finding this out and getting stuff sent to them, I, I maybe it's hard to put yourself back in that time frame. But what is going through your head at that point? Like, are you just like, I'm, I'm, I'm screwed. Like, what? How am I ever going to? What do I do at this point? Did you did you think of just dropping the case ever? I did. There was um, a lot of times where I did, and I remember my mom even saying, like, you don't have to keep putting yourself through this. Like you don't have to do this. And I'm like, mom, I have to, um, I, I couldn't personally just live with myself, not knowing or not knowing that I didn't try. I mean, at that point, the evidence is kind of stacked against us. There didn't have a ton of evidence. Um, we were still uncovering evidence and had a private investigator with it all. And I just had to know that I tried to do something. I couldn't live with myself and wake up and look in the mirror every day and be okay, not trying to prevent something like this from happening to other women. Yeah, I mean, we talk about all that stuff that they did to you, but something you mentioned in your answer when we first started talking about this was this Wikilinks page that had basically almost a personal bio of every woman that they had posted on their Girls Do Porn site, which was just info on all these women, their name, their colleges, their jobs, their family members, their social media accounts. Like when you find out about that, what do you, what do you do? I, that, when I found out about that, I was pissed. I was like disgusted. And I went to my attorney and we just talked about it. And like, I wanted to like reach out to them and just hear their stories hear They were, they went through the exact same thing. Cause I've, I was so ashamed and I just, I needed someone to also talk to. Um, And I wasn't alone in this situation. And I did reach out to him and send him a message. And then those that responded, I put in touch with my attorney and 
then that's when we kind of came about and filed the first complaint with, I think there were like four, four, maybe five plaintiffs or Jane Doe's in that. Yeah. And I think that is one of the biggest things in talking to you and finding out more about this case was if you would have just taken them on yourself, I don't think, and I, I don't think that you think that you would have won. It was the fact that it's almost like the WikiLinks page helped you in this process because you were able to contact all the other women who had been part of this and been part of this manipulation and coercion by these guys that ran this website that you were able to gather them and say, Hey, if we tell our story, if we basically join forces here and all tell our stories of all the things that happened to us, they will see a pattern. And it's not just, you know, Jenny's word against theirs. Exactly. It's like speaking with them and just, there truly is strength in numbers and just wanted to break the silence on this really important issue. Um, I reached out to so many people, but a lot of, a lot of them didn't want to get involved. And I didn't really understand at that point in time, why they didn't want to, why they didn't want to help a cause. But now that more time has gone by, like I, I see their perspective, like people move on and they don't want to relive like the trauma of that. And it was a traumatic experience that we were constantly reminded of, like sitting through multiple depositions, being in a 99 day civil trial, being on the stand for four days straight with uh, being asked like outrageous and irrelevant questions by opposing counsel's attorneys. It was something we were constantly reminded of and forced to go through again. And some people weren't, didn't want to do that, weren't moved on in their life. And I get that now, but the time it was kind of hard to understand. Yeah, no, it it makes, it makes a lot of sense. And it's, it's something that speaks to a a larger issue. And I think that came about with the Me Too movement in, in 2018, which is just this idea of why don't women say things right away? I mean, you hear that all the time from the detractors of the Me Too movement. Oh, this happened five or 10 years ago. Why didn't you say something then? Oh, you're just, you're just glomming on now because you know, you want money out of it or something like that. And when the reality of the situation is maybe they don't want to talk about it because they don't want to have to relive it. They know it's their word unless, unless, you know, something was caught on camera. It's their word against someone else's. They know they're going to have to sit in a, in a, um, in a courtroom and a very professional lawyer, uh, a prosecutor will be going uh, at them and having them, you know, basically questioning their character when you know what happened to you or you know what happened that particular night. And yet someone's going to accuse you of being a liar. And it's a lot to go through. And it makes sense as to I don't know what the percentage is, but I know it's high as to why, what, 85, 90 percent of, of of rapes and sexual assaults um don't get reported. Yeah, and it's it's sad. Cause it's like I, but I get it from that perspective, too. It's like victims often don't come forward because of the social and cultural stigmas associated with it and the victim blaming and the, the traumatic process. Like I, I remember on the stand, like I was, I was on that stand for four days straight testifying. And some of the questions I was asked by um, opposing counsel's attorney were just so like preposterous that they tried to slut shame me in open court and literally ask if I was working as a prostitute. Like how long was I on this trip in Cabo for with, cause I had a photo on my social media account. I was asked why I was wearing like a black bikini. One question, was this a ski trip? Is that a fur coat on your bed in this Snapchat or, or Instagram story? Like it was 
crazy the lengths and the types of questions being asked. And I don't blame people for not wanting to step forward because everything else it brings on to them. Yeah. And I mean, just you saying that it's unbelievable. It's like none of that has to do with your case. It's just trying to portray you a certain way to make it seem like, you know, oh, she asked for it. I mean, that's all that questioning was. That's all, you know, when you say those things, yes. that's all that line of questioning was, was like, oh, well, she was totally into it or she was totally asking for it. Because there's exactly de- what you had on your bed, you know, what you had on a picture on your bed or a trip to Cabo has nothing to do with what happened that day. Nothing, you know, completely. They were just trying to paint this picture. They called me a ringleader that I was just out and after money. And it was just horrible. It was like they're that's completely not that at all. And that's what they're trying to say just to cover up their disgusting criminal operation. Yeah, uh, to say the least. And, you know, this was something that um, that I was thinking about when I was reading uh, more into the case and you know I, well let's just talk about the case in, in in general um for those that are unaware i'm going i'm, go, I'm going to include a link uh, to this so you can actually take the time to read this and um in june of last year was the sentencing hearing uh for this guy andre andre garcia and um the transcript is online it's court records so i will link to it and in it you get to see the transcript of all 20 victims that spoke that day to the court and then directed whatever they wanted to say to Andre directly. Um, I can say that I've never read anything like that in my entire life. It was, uh, I mean, I'll say it now and I'm going to put a trigger warning in the column. There is some very sexually graphic content in there. And last night I read all 20 victims statements that they, that you guys read in court that day. Uh, it really is indescribable. Uh, it's very brave of all of you to come forward and speaks face to face with your accuser about what he had done to your lives. And I suggest anybody listening to this today, take the time uh, to read the statement in the link that I'm going to include from the victims who spoke in court that day. It really drives it home. How awful, uh, it became for you guys just to live, honestly. I mean, because from every account that I read, a lot of them all suffer from the same types of things, PTSD, anxiety, constantly living in fear. Um, I heard, I saw the phrase, I'm a shell of my former self numerous times. Um, can't trust anybody, have body issues. I can't look at themselves in the mirror naked anymore. Um, became addicted uh, tried to take their own lives. Like that stuff was just prevalent in almost every victim's statement. And it was re- it's really harrowing to read, to say the least. And I, I hope people uh, take the time to read that. So this this case drives drives it home. So for you, I mean, how when it when you went through it and and everything after that and the harassment that you got. I don't even know what, what pulls somebody through that. What, what did you do to get through that? Um, the harassment, I mean, is unbearable, but it was like, you take everything from someone and they have nothing left. It's like, all right, you can't take anything else from me. So, but I'm going to keep trying to take you down because you don't deserve this. You, no one deserves what you're doing to these women. And you're just going to keep doing it unless Like we step forward and, but also knowing like there's other girls there with me. It's like, I just remember 
trial was so tough because that was the first time I had actually really talked about it and was forced to talk about it. I just buried it deep down inside and tried to forget about it. And it really brought everything out. And, but knowing like, I can't drop out of this. Like I'm Jane Doe one, like, yeah, there's other girls, but if I drop out, what if they drop out? And like, what message does that send? And what if this all falls apart, but not only it falls apart, like for the case, but also my attorneys at that point, like going into trial had been four years, like four or five, four or five years. And the time they had put in the harassment they received, um, they were harassed as well because defendants wanted them off the case. They slit my attorney's tires. They harassed my attorney's pregnant wife. Um, they photoshopped their, my attorney's photos onto, um, other explicit photos and then like tried to like defame their law firms and called them and harassed them. So it was like all of us girls were getting harassed. They harassed the attorneys and the fact they stuck on the case, stayed on the case as well. And even like one of the last firms that came on Sanford Heisler Sharp, like they fronted like half a million dollars just in court fees. And so it's like to get into it. And then if I drop out and then other girls drop out, it's like, no, I've, I have other people like relying on me and that need me too. And so, and they were, they were strong. So such strong, strong women and courageous. And so their bravery like led me as well. Like, even though I couldn't talk to them because our attorneys didn't want us talking throughout the civil case, um, just knowing they were there or they were about to testify before me um, really helped like give me light through the entire situation. Yeah. Like I said, I, I can't imagine. And that is, that is very, that is very strong of you uh, to, to continue with that. Like you said, you had a lot of people relying on you. You were Jane Doe one. If you drop out, probably everyone else does. And this never gets brought to, you know, a trial. And this might still be going on if you don't do what you do. So all, all the props to you for, yeah. you know, coming forward and doing It was disgusting. Yeah. Even through trial, it's like they were still doing their same disgusting business practice throughout the civil trial until they got like picked up by like FBI. That was the only thing that actually stopped them from continuing to do it. They were still doing it while the trial was going on. Like how, yes. how, are they, how are they not mm-hmm. bus? How were they not like, I mean, I, I guess I don't know how it works police wise, but once they are in the middle of a trial, wouldn't they be tapped to see if they were still going on or their whereabouts known that they were still, you know, renting out seedy hotels to do this in? I, I, I I don't know. I guess I don't know how it works. Yeah, no, they did like a great, a great job, and like um, the work that the Texas put in was honestly quite, quite amazing. And the stories they, the lengths they went to, um, but they have to have enough evidence before, like just picking, um, picking people up, and then raiding offices and whatnot. But yeah. they eventually were. But it was just crazy that like these sick defendants here just were continuing to do it while trial was going on, just unwor like no worries, unbothered by the entire situation. They truly thought they were going to like get out of what they were doing. They weren't going to like get caught, but everything kind of came to light in trial luckily and did in our favor. Yeah. And we're going to get to that in a second. I want to backtrack real quickly on something that I wanted to bring up because I think it's a question that probably a lot of people have is what sort of contract was involved with this? Like when you either before you went out there or when you were there, doing this modeling shoot, supposed modeling shoot, did you have to, you know, sign something? Because if you, if you read, 
if you read the statement online, um, you know, I read the the whole thing from the transcript of the sentencing that day. I mean, it just I, I couldn't believe the defense's defense. I just I was just laughable that their defense was, you know, spoiler alert, spoiler alert. I'm going to spoil what the defense's defense was, and it was, hey, Andre's a young guy. He makes mistakes. We all make mistakes, but he was young. That's really all their defense was. I I, I could not believe that that's what their defense attorney was selling as to, on the day of the sentencing. Like, oh, yeah, you know, he's he was young. He made a mistake. He shouldn't have done that. Really? <laughs> that was their defense? I, 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 I could not believe that. But good for them that they got busted for it. But the contract itself, was there some sort of contract, something you had to sign that when you signed it, it was like, oh, that's how they got you? They had... Um Apparently, like victims, like they, not it wasn't a contract. It was a piece of paper, um, front and back, with some weird language, font size eight or ten, maybe. Didn't even make sense. Um, after drinking heavily, and there was drugs involved, I think for some of the victims as well. And I still don't even know if like those are our actual signatures on him. There was a bunch of shady stuff that did go on with defendants and defendants counsels. Like, I think, I don't know. Um, but I know if with the defendants and I wouldn't be surprised if like they were forged. I don't really, I don't know. Like I, I do vaguely remember signing something. I don't know. They were, it was thrown in front of me. We weren't allowed to read it. We were told we had to sign it and it was taken right away from us after we weren't able to get a copy, get anything about it. And even my attorneys asked after it was filed, like even before it was filed, like, cause they claimed that, Oh, we signed something it took them so long to even get a copy of it. Discovery requests, we, they asked them over and over t- over and over to produce the documents. They just never were produced. So they'd get delayed or, oh, they had some excuse. And when, they, when my attorneys did finally get the paper that apparently had like signatures on them, it just was way later and didn't even make sense to an attorney what the language was on the piece of paper. God. That's yeah. It seems like if they were really up to date with everything and they knew they were doing nothing wrong, they would have been produced those and said, "Oh no, look, they signed it, and it says right here we're doing this, this, and this with these videos." And that's not at all what it was. And no, I find that to be very interesting. I think one other thing that you talked about um, briefly when we spoke uh, before this interview was, and it, and it goes along the lines of how strong you had to be to continue in going through with this with this lawsuit was. When you first set out to do this, you didn't think you were going to win, did you? I didn't know. I didn't know how big it would end up being. I didn't know like how much what they were going to find out. It's like my number was blocked and it's some guy using a fake name and lives in my building apparently that how it came back, but I didn't know like I just kept finding out new information and then what they were a part of and I know other girls had tried to bring civil lawsuits against them before me and they were shut down immediately. Like, cause they used their entire scheme was using intimidation and threats to shut down and silence any women that tried to come forward. Um, and it had worked and I didn't know, I didn't expect it to ever actually go to trial, but I didn't know if we would win or not. It was more for just like, I have to try to do something to prevent it from happening to other young women. And I want that video taken offline. And when you say other people, why were why were the other civil suits shot down? Is it just because the other women didn't go through with it because of the intimidation 
tactics or there I, wasn't it was evidence wise or something like that i think it was more because they were just shut down because intimidation tactics and threats yeah um i don't know if there's like one or two but i know people i know girls tried to like talk to attorneys but also it's like it's hard because it's like you're going to an attorney about something and if that girl doesn't have like any evidence or that victim doesn't have evidence at all it's like it's a he said she said situation it's like okay attorney is going to take on the case like contingency so work on it for free and if they're unsure if they're going to like get any money back from it it's like very time consuming um so just a hard case like when you tell someone initially about it to really jump on board and say okay let's do this no i i totally understand and now it, ma- it makes so much more sense reading about it and not to mention um a lot of these victims were of were still teenagers at the time in you know 18 19 years old and at that age you know how much do they know about law and going forward with this how much money do they have to even hire a lawyer and if they, if someone doesn't take it on pro bono can they even do anything like you said there's a lot of factors involved not to mention the intimidation and the threats that were coming their way of hey you you don't go against us or we are going because this was a this was a a major operation that was being run uh, on girls do porn and they they had a lot of say obviously and i could see how the intimidation would work in that case against people just you know starting out did something and they were just like oh shit and un- unbelievable that um you know when you guys first started out with the case what I read in the sentencing was you initially asked for 151 months, which is what uh, around 14 years uh, is what they initially asked for the sentence for Andre. Yes. Something like 14 or 15 years. I'm not quite sure the exact, I don't remember the exact amount, but I think something along that. I think the wording was 151 months is what I think I remember seeing in the, your lawyer say uh, in that, in that sentencing transcript. So off the top of my head, uh, 144 months would be 12. Oh, I'm blanking. Anyway, um, uh, so, but for those that don't know, uh, again, spoiler alert, the case, um, the sentencing happened in June of last year, I believe, or maybe it was July. Um, Andre ended up getting 20 years in prison uh, for this, which is more than you guys asked for. And I mean, when that came down, can you can you even put into words when you heard that sentencing how you felt? Oh gosh, um, just it's, my eyes are tearing up just thinking about it. Um, that day alone was probably by far the best day of my life. Just going in there and just being surrounded and empowered by so many other females, like standing up for themselves and using their voice to break the silence and truly like set the world on fire with their their truths and what they had been through um and really sit there and just we had all put like red x's on our right hand um and like symbolizing like the end it movement and to stop human trafficking sex trafficking and that red x just kind of reminded us when we went up there and individually read our statements or spoke it about it um that we were all connected and we could all we could all get through it and we were going to and then just sitting there and looking at um andre just not even paying attention or just rolling his eyes shrugging his shoulders and then afterwards like the judge coming back and kind of saying what the statute was we were on like 15 years but he has been cooperating um with the fbi and trying to get the one 
defendant that is a fugitive and because of good cooperation and whatnot that I would have been happy with 10. I was hoping for 12 um, just based off what the judge was reading and like all the points and the systems they use. And when she came back and she gave us, gave him 20 years was, uh, wow, this is a feeling like you just can't, I don't know, can't forget. And just, it was the happiest moment. There's people just tearing up and crying of just happiness and justice being brought because there's true, there isn't another case like this in the country. And so it's like the judge even said, like, you didn't just do this to two or three women. You did this to 400 plus victims. You continually sex trafficked. You are like, he is by definition, like a professional, a professional at sex trafficking. And it's disgusting. So seeing him go away for 20 years, like that, that was pretty unbelievable. And I hope the next guy that's is awaiting trial i hope he's scared and i hope he gets even more yeah i mean um i i can only imagine what that feeling was when that sentencing came down and like i said when you do read the transcript before you get to reading all the 20 victim statements there is the statement from the defendant's lawyer andre's lawyer um you know all he was trying to do i i get his job is to minimize the sentence for his client but it was disturbing just reading that, that this guy's stance was Andre was young. We all make mistakes when we're young. I, I could not believe that, that that was their defense to try and keep their sentencing to their client down to whatever, 10 years, 12 years. I don't even know what they were asking for, but that, that was the defense. And yeah, I, I, I it was. you must have been sitting there going, really? If this guy gets off or gets three to five years because he was young and dumb and made a mistake and we were all young too so we're all guilty here like holy shit that was yeah it was i was scared like wait, waiting for hearing what his um how many years he was going to be given because it was just like it's going to send a message and it's, it's he's getting if he's allowed off lightly like there's going to I don't know. No one's going to really want to stop or people. It's not going to detour this type of like behavior. And when she came back with that, it was like, good. He deserves that. I mean, in my opinion, he deserves life, but uh, that wasn't something that she was going to come back with. So realistically, I knew that. Yeah. A question I have, and I don't know about the legal ramifications of something like this, like, or where, where are we at with, can he like, can he appeal appeal this or parole or something, or is he, is he definitely in for at least 20? So he's in for um, at least 20. I mean, with good behavior, it might be a little bit early. I'm not quite sure, but he, he was the one defendant who pled guilty to everything. And so because he pleaded guilty um, without having to go through like trial or anything, pleaded guilty and then um, was awaiting his sentencing. And that's when we all got the opportunity to go in and read a victim impact statement um, there in court. And then that's when the judge came back with what she decided was fair given the circumstances and 20 years it was. Okay. And, um, I, I mean, something that I, I thought of and I, I, and I guess I may, I don't know the answer to this and I'll just ask you is, is, um, I was speaking to this case, uh, with this case, uh, to somebody else and just asking questions that, um, they're kind of in the legal field, and I was just kind of curious, like, why why wasn't rape any part of this lawsuit when 
it seems like what was happening was the very definition of rape. Why was he not convicted of that? I don't know like all the back end details with everything. And also I don't know if it's something I can exactly talk on just because okay. I know there is someone else awaiting trial. Um, okay, and I don't want to speculate on that type of thing, but that's fine. Sorry. No, no problem. That's fine. I just, I, I didn't know. Cause when I just, the more I looked at it and read these women's accounts, I was just like, okay, this, I mean, I'm glad, look, I'm glad he got 20 years, but it seems like, it, like you said, you should have gotten life. Um, it's just, it's just a, I guess it's just semantics when we're talking uh, about that, but it just seems to fit the definition. What was happening here was the definition of it. So that's why, um, I was curious, but, um, you know, that's, that, that, that's basically everything to do with the case. Like I said, I will include both links, both the, uh, a link to, for all of you to read basically, a it looks like a judge's summary of everything that happened. And then I will link to the transcript from the sentencing that day to where you can read what both lawyers opening statements were and then all 20 victims and what they had to say to the court and to Andre himself. Very powerful stuff. Um, I, it just, it's something that you cannot begin to describe. And that was kind of the next thing that I wanted to talk to you about was the after effects of something like this in your life. Um, you know, when someone deals with being a victim of sex trafficking, when people bring it up to you, sometimes, I don't know, a message of encouragement, uh, you know, may not be the way to go. I think one thing you told me was you don't recover from something like this. It's something that you carry on for the rest of your life. So how would you tell people how to, I don't know, talk about this with you or bring it up to you? Yeah. I mean, the after effects of it, um, are traumatizing. I mean, it's been seven years and this is the first time I've actually been able to talk about it in a setting, an interview type setting and just be okay to be able to talk about it. It's because like the defendants, like for me anyway, it's like they stole like so much from me. They changed my entire life, who I was, who I am and who I could have been. The emotional harm doesn't expire. And it, it does. It's a part of me and stays with me forever. But what's helped me with it all is just knowing I'm, I'm not alone. Like there are other people out there that have been through it and we can get through it together. And also being able to talk, talk about it and raise awareness. It's like what happened to me was like horrible and it's horrible to all those other victims, but it's like, you know, by sharing my story, I can help do something about it and bring awareness to it. And that's it's been a slow process and time has definitely helped, but also seeing justice has been a significant factor as well. And seeing um, Andre go away for 20 years and just know that we're doing our, doing our best and trying to move on from it. But it's a message like when people do read those like victim impact statements, I do want to say like, please just read them. Don't try to figure out who victims are, give them their privacy. Um, everyone's, at a different point in their um, recovery process. So it's like, even if you know someone who's been through that, just even a simple message saying like, Oh my gosh, I had no idea you went through this. I'm so proud. I'm so brave of you. Like that can also have a triggering effect and they can just be like, Oh my God, like their day could be great. They not, they didn't think about it all day. And then all of a sudden they see this message and they're just triggered or they're just like, Oh my gosh, people know about it. Or it's like, it can have a harming effect like as well. Luckily, 
I'm not at that point anymore, but I know a lot of people are, and they do want to be able to move through life and their day-to-day activities without having to be reminded of it. Yeah. That's what I was kind of worried about when you were answering it there until you said like, you've kind of moved past that is like, obviously a lot of people are going to listen to this podcast and probably want to reach out to you. Not to say that, I mean, maybe some did go through it. We reached one person today where they went through it and they feel uh, a a little more um, safe now because they heard you speak about it. That's great. But just people reaching out to you saying, you know, you're so brave. I had no idea um, that you'll be, you'd be okay with that. Right. I would. Yeah. I mean, I'm good with that now. And that's why I'm able to finally share my story and kind of spread the word on it. But it did take, took five years to get to that point um, of being able to actually like not be triggered by a message. Um, But now it's like seven years, almost seven years later, it's like, I'm fine with people reaching out. Um, I get triggered in person. If someone's like, Oh my gosh, you look familiar. Where do I know you from? Then like, it just goes triggers in the back of my head. I'm like, okay, so they must've seen a video or a photo or something, but yeah, um, recovery is a everyday thing. So <laughs> I was going to say that's got to be tough because, like you said, somebody might have the purest intentions in the world, and but something small like that, like "Hey, where do I know you from?" I, immediately, that that's got to be where your mind races to. Like, oh crap, did this person, you know, see the? Yeah, and then like I, I quickly usually try to change the subject. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, what about what about um this post? You know post-trial, post-everything, um, with your dating life? Like, has it been an issue um, with the guys that you have dated? Um, how do you bring it up to them? What has the reaction been? And has it been positive? It's tough. Um, I mean, when I, right before the trial started, I was like dating someone and I was the first person to tell them about it. But and they said they were okay with it. We started dating each other. It was pretty serious. And then he just felt like he could do whatever because I had some, his in his eyes, like sex tape out there. And so he'd do horrible things to me and tell, him, tell me I deserved it because I had this and brought this into his life. But even past that, it's like, okay, like dating guys or going on dates or getting to know them, it's, it's hard. I kind of touched on this in the beginning of this conversation was, you don't ever know people's reaction and you don't, I, you don't know how to tell them always or when the right time to tell them is. So it's like, usually I'll wait a little bit longer than I did when I told Steven. Um, but it is something I like to get out there um, somewhat relatively quickly, just because if they do have an issue with it and a lot of guys I have dated do have an issue with it, um, then at least like we can go our separate ways from there and I don't waste more of his time and he doesn't waste any more of my time. Yeah, there's a lot of obviously douchebags out there and, you know, fuckboys out there, but golly, somebody saying somebody using your video against you, like saying, Well, you did this, so I can do this, like you are a shitty human being. I mean, there's no other way around that. I I cannot believe that that happens. Like that happened to you. That some guy really used that as a reason to treat you a certain way because you had this in your past. Thank you. When I confronted him on cheating on me he like pulled up the video that he had, he found it and saved it on his phone and just played it. He's like, I can do whatever I want. And I was just so fragile then. And so weak that I was just like, I stayed in the relationship and I shouldn't have. Um, But I eventually got out of that. And now I'm, I'm much stronger now and I would never be okay with something like that. But it's crazy. Like, Actually, um, 
just yesterday, I even received a message from an ex of mine from literally right before all this, right after all this happened, or right before, you know, we started dating right after this had happened to me. And I received a message so a couple days ago, it would have been seven, seven years ago was the last time I talked to him. And he messaged me on Twitter and said that me sharing my story and being on this show ruined his marriage. And I was like, how did that? I don't know. I just get stuff all the time. Like, I was like, how does this ruin your marriage? I haven't seen her talk to you in seven years. And then me sharing my story on a TV show affects you. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. I received blame for somehow what I, I went through is I should, I'm one to be blamed or victim shamed or whatnot. <laughs> wow. Um, you didn't respond to him, did you? No, 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 no. <laughs> I, I almost kind of want you to, to find out what the hell are you talking about, dude? Like how, how in the world is that? relate to your marriage now like i <laughs> exactly i called my brother because i was just like i almost oh, want to know the answer never gonna believe who messaged me like the guy I dated in law school i was like how does one plus one equal one thousand i was just like how does these two things correlate and yeah. I, I do want to know i'm not going to message him or say anything but i was just like this makes no sense <laughs> well shit i mean honestly you know when i had when i had tweeted out um that um you know, in the last couple of days that you were going to be on the podcast and I couldn't wait for everybody to hear it. Um, there, there was a guy who had a response that I just shake, you know, my head at. And I, and I, and I'm, you know, I mean, if you go look on my mentions, you could probably find it. And, and this guy is clearly anti Jenny. And I just, it's taking so much of me to not just absolutely lay into this guy. And, um, but yeah, I mean, you're going to have your detractors out there. You're going to have people that think that are going to blame you for this or something like that. You know, it's just, it is, that's just the way people have to react. Like people just can't take this story and be like, holy shit, I can't believe this went on. They have to find a way to find out, well, it must have happened because of this or something that Jenny did or something that Jenny said. Like, yeah, they victim blame. It's, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you didn't do anything wrong here. You didn't. You're you're not the victim. I mean, I mean, you you weren't. Well, you are the victim. I said that wrong. But not the not. Yeah, I know what you're. I know what you're trying to say. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> so I, I just I, I saw this guy's response, and then I looked at his some of his tweets and a tweet he sent four days ago was clearly directed at you. And it's just like, really? Like, Oh, I think I know which one you're talking about. He, or someone tagged us both in a tweet and I, there's someone yeah, out there did. I don't know if it was the same person or not. Yeah. And they're just talking about it. I was like, I wanted to respond, but I was like, you know what? It's not even worth it. Like yeah. it doesn't bother me. He needs to I'd rather him get mad at me over it than some other victim in the case. But it's just like, yeah, leave it alone. And at first I'd get mad, but now I'm just like, I pity a person like that. I pity a person that can't see it for what it is. Um, I mean, he's in defendants are in, defendant is in prison for a reason. And then to still get say it was my fault and that type of thing. I'm like, wow, that person is a very miserable person and I should feel bad for them. <laughs> yeah. It's just one of these things where I literally want to tell the guy how ignorant he sounds, but doing that over Twitter is just never a good thing because he's already just looking at some of his tweets. He clearly thinks that he's in the right in anything he says or thinks. So nothing I say is going to change his mind, but he looks like a complete ass um, by saying some of the things that he has said on Twitter. And yeah, yeah, there's just a part of me that really wants to just like 
totally expose him and show what a basically a misogynist he is and what a pig he is uh, for his thought process on this. And, oh, God, it, it was just really. But I haven't responded and, I, and I'm not going yeah, to don't respond. <laughs> I feel like those types of people and a response encourages them, them even more and fuels their fire. So it's like, yeah. I know it's hard sometimes not to respond, but best to just leave it alone. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but thank you for that. Yeah, no, no problem. Um, have you been have you been dealing with? Um, I mean, do you like you kind of briefly mentioned, but have you are you still dealing with any sort of harassment in this um, by by people or even uh, you know we never even talked about this at the time that it all went down because I I read it in a lot of the the victim statements where family members and friends basically cut them out of their lives because of this and felt ashamed of them and, and wanted to separate themselves. And they, one girl said that her brother cut her out of her, her brother cut her out of his wedding. Didn't let him go to the wedding. Didn't let her go to the wedding because of yeah. this and stuff like that. Like, was it ever that, did it ever get that way for you? And do you still deal with any sort of harassment now? Um, I mean, I definitely dealt with a ton of harassment and in all of it and the heightened of um the case and whatnot i mean luckily like my family didn't cut me out um yeah. such a great family and the reason i got through it um but i was harassed like in other ways like i've i mean over social media of course but then it was like the defendant um andre who's just sentenced he would show up to my bottle service job and make me serve him and complain to my coworkers about him like but just showing up at work and just making me feel unsafe and a workplace environment or the phone calls that it came out in um, the civil trial that someone was either like they paid someone to just harass me nonstop with phone calls to my law firm or other measures or the guy to show up at my bottle service job um, along with Andre who would show up. Um, the guy like was scared to death of. And, but in terms of, family my family was always very supportive of everything and i wouldn't have gotten through it without them so i'm very grateful for that that's good yeah that's that's really good and and what you're doing now like i think a lot of people want to know like in law i'm sure once this happened because i believe this happened to you one year into law school is when you first um is when this is when this occurred so what type of law now are you involved in? And is this something that, like you said, that you're advocating for? So tell people exactly what kind of law you're doing now. So I do personal injury right now, but not like car accidents, any of that. I do some employment law and then like sexual harassment cases. And those ones are the ones that like I'm the most passionate about. If I could only do like sexual harassment cases, I would. And I hope to be able to get to a point where I'm only doing those types of cases. Um, I like helping other people that have unfortunately had to go through types of situations that are just similar to mine and being able to actually relate to them as well. And not just help them find justice, but it's like you talk to someone who's been through it. It's like an understanding and just talking with someone has such a good form of therapy. But for me going through it as well, it's like when I talk to other victims of other things, it's like being able to relate and realize you're not alone and just rebuild and they're, you can get through it and that transition from like victim to survivor. So it's, I do do a lot of like work in like nonprofit stuff. And I actually want to dive into that realm more now that I, the show's over and I do have um, shows over from filming, I should say. And I do have yeah. a little bit more time on my hands. Well, I mean, 
this was uh, a very um, educational uh, podcast. And like I said, it's one of the, I, I knew it was going to be, you know, one of the best I've ever done. And I can't, you know, thank you enough. When I reached out to you, I had no idea what your response was going to be. You didn't know me. Um, I didn't know anything about your case when I DM'd. I was just kind of like, I want to know more about it because, you know, we've we've seen people on reality TV, contestants on reality TV dating shows that were victims of rape, victims of sexual assault. And, you know, we, we, we have seen that before, but, you know, in all the reality TV I've watched, I've never heard of a contestant involved in being a victim of sex trafficking. So it really piqued my interest, and it's why I did DM you right after the show ended last week. And, you know, I didn't know what to expect. And you have been about as gracious as they come. And the fact that you were willing to talk about this publicly for the first time in seven years on my podcast, I, I really can't thank you enough. And I hope people really learned a lot from this and are maybe less quick to judge things uh, that they see on TV and um, the the phrases that they hear. And immediately, like I said, I, I immediately thought this was a, you know, a kidnapping or hostage situation in your past. And uh, clearly it wasn't. But uh, I mean, Jenny, I, I really can't thank you enough for coming on and, and sharing this. And I'm so glad you shared your story. And I hope if it if it really, like I said, if it reaches one person, um, then I think we did the right thing here. Um, so, yeah. And Thank you so much for having me and like you're great and your podcasts are great. I've listened to them. Um, so I knew it was a good and safe setting to talk about it. In, and I was ready to, and I do want to like, as we're wrapping up here, like in saying like, I don't like let the audience know, like I don't tell my story for glory, sympathy or acceptance, but to just really raise awareness, create change and prevent this from happening to other young women. And just let people know that it is out there and it is such a prevalent issue. Like in society today, it's, happens to children, women, and even men and places you don't even expect. Like I found out the guy lived in my apartment building, a very, very nice apartment building in downtown San Diego. It's, it's everywhere. So just be aware, make people aware, educate others. And hopefully together we just break the silence and encourage other people to step forward because doing that will, I don't know, kind of prevent it from happening as well. For sure. And I think you coming on today is definitely a step in that direction and to, to raise the awareness that you did and to share as much as you could uh, about this story, I think, is really going to open a lot of people's eyes. So, again, Jenny, can't I can't thank you enough. Thank you so much uh, for coming on and sharing your story. And and I hope I just hope we reach a lot of people today and hope a lot of people get to hear this and get to hear all this. And. If you know, if you were fascinated by what Jenny just said, like I said, there's even more to dive into here where you can actually, you know, look into the things that went on and read the statements of these women. And I and I'm telling you, I haven't read anything like that in my life before. I was so enthralled. I thought I was just gonna skim the transcript of the hearing. And then it's just like, okay, victim A, sp- speak your piece. And then it was just hearing story after story after story. I said, trigger warning. It is very sexually graphic content in there and just be aware of that. But very powerful stuff really drives home the fact of how this affected your lives, because that's the biggest thing to come out of this is, you know, like you said, you don't recover from something like this. This is something you will carry on with you for the rest of your life. And 
Uh, some people yeah, deal with it differently, you know? It truly is. And I'm, I'm going to put this little caveat in there and note for you. Um, if anyone does read those victim impact statements, which are very moving and really like will make you aware of what is out there and what like these women went through, um, read them, read the statements, take them heavily, but leave it at that. Don't try to figure out who people are. Don't try to ask around, respect these women's privacy, let them try to move on with their life unless they come out and publicly give their statement or talk about it, but wait for someone to talk about it before you reach out to them. Yeah. I mean, I didn't even, is there anything in there that could even lead? I didn't, I wasn't, when I was reading those, there was nothing that made me think, Oh, I think this might be this person. I just assumed like, I mean, there are are internet trolls that try to figure things out and make forms of it all because it has happened before, but yeah, just read it to become aware and just really feel and understand, try to understand what everyone went through and respect people's privacy as well. (laughs) Yeah, no doubt. And yeah, like I said, I'm not, I'm not an internet troll, so it never even crossed my mind. I know you're not. No, and I wasn't trying to say, say that at all, but if you never know what forms might come up of people revealing the names, um, and whatnot, but yeah, no, thank you so much for having me today. And just talking about this important issue. And I really am very grateful and thankful for it. Well, thank you, Jenny. Really appreciate it. Uh, we will obviously uh, be in touch and um, good luck uh, with everything going forward. You obviously know how your journey happens on uh, Joe Millionaire. We'll watch that play out over the next few weeks. As we know, Joe Millionaire airing every Thursday night on Fox 8, 7 Central. Catch episode three airing tonight. Jenny Alexandra, thank you so much for coming on. Can't thank you enough. Thank you as well. Have a good rest of your day. You too. Bye. Wow. Um, that was Jenny Alexandra. And I think maybe the Meredith Phillips interview I did where she had revealed the sexual assault that happened to her on the bachelor set when she was or bachelorette set when she was bachelorette which is a story she had never told publicly anywhere is probably the only thing I compare to what we just heard. I, um, I guess that I know I said it probably 10 times in the last five minutes. I just couldn't thank her enough for sharing that and for sharing it on my podcast, because who am I? Like she could have easily, after last week's episode on Joe Millionaire, where she came out and told Stephen that she was a victim of sex trafficking, I, maybe no one reached out to her. Maybe no other podcaster reached out to her. I mean, I guess I'm just saying I'm glad I did. And I had no idea what to expect. I had no idea what she was allowed to say. And when I reached out to her, I had no idea what her sex trafficking story even was. And it wasn't until she told me, and I did the Googling on it, and you guys can all do it because it's out there and public knowledge. Google girls do porn case. Girls do porn is one word. And then Google, and then I will include the links both in my column and I will include them in the episode description when you go uh, on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcast. I'll have the links directly in there on um, in the podcast episode description. So you, you can't miss it. One of them is basically, like I said, a summary from what the case was and what Andre Garcia did. And then the other one is the transcript from June of 2021 
when Andre received his sentencing and the 20 women, 20 victims came forward. Their names aren't in there. They're labeled as victim A, victim B, all the way through, I think, M or N or something like that. And, um, yeah, just read it. Realize how serious this is. Uh, realize um, what this guy did and how he changed their lives by running this operation that he did. The lying, the deceiving, the coercion, um, the physical assault. Um, I'm glad the guy got 20 years, but like Jenny said, I wish he would have gotten life. Thank you all for listening. I really appreciate it. And um, I hope this brings awareness uh, to sex trafficking because I said it in the very beginning. I'm a novice when it came to this. Did not do my, I knew the basic definition of sex trafficking and obviously there's layers to it. And I'm glad I dug deep on this and I'm glad that um, I had her on and, and I'm glad I spent an hour last night reading all of the victim statements. It was, it was a lot, but I think it, it really, it just, if you, if you liked what you just heard, please take the time. Yeah. it'll take a little bit of time, but please take the time to read the the links that I included to, to get even more info about the case and, and what these women went through. So, um, like I said, I'm going to give, every time I say it, I'm going to give a trigger warning. There is very sexually graphic content in there. That is probably not the easiest thing to read. Um, cause these are real people. This is, these aren't actors or actresses. These are real people that were coerced and lied to and taken advantage of. So keep that in mind. Don't do anything like Jenny said. We're trying to go, you know, out who they are or whatever. It doesn't matter. Um, they are victims and let's leave it at that and just hear their stories and hear what they had to say and take it from there. Um, and so it just drives the point home of how bad, uh, this was. So again, Please rate, subscribe, and review in Apple Podcasts. So much appreciated. And we'll be back uh, next week uh, with another podcast. So for Jenny Alexander, I'm Reality Steve. Thank you for tuning into this podcast, and we'll talk to you next week.